Folks, if you're liking what you're getting from 30MPC, the number one way you can support us is by subscribing to our newsletter. Every week, you only get two emails. On Monday, you get a content roll-up of everything that dropped last week. And on Fridays, I pick one topic and I personally write a deep dive on things like how to cold call, how to run a discovery call, or even how to hire an AE. So if you're liking what you're getting here, take two seconds, go to the show notes. You'll see a button to subscribe to our newsletter, or you can go to 30mpc.com backslash newsletter and do it there. We'll catch you soon. Cheers. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Farouk. I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigelski. And, oh, man, top AE at gong, J.C. Pollard. Nick, why should people listen? Well, J.C. actually knows how to book a meeting using the magic device called the phone. He is a cold-calling expert. This was a great one because Armand and I talk about cold calling a lot and best practices for cold calling. And like JC just, he explains it in a different way. And so if you want to get better at booking meetings on the phone, listen to this one. And then if you want to figure out how to soft close at multiple times throughout your deal process, JC also knows how to do that. And a three, a two, a one. Do you want to listen to this episode? Until you say yes, I'm not playing it. Yes. (laughs) Thank you. Three, two, one. Let's do it. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Super Cadence by Influ2, which helps cut through the noise of oversaturated prospecting channels. If you want to get your prospect's attention, you got to do stuff a robot would never do. One of my favorite plays is getting warm introductions to the accounts that I'm targeting via salespeople who work at that account. Salespeople help salespeople. Another approach could be using Super Cadence to run SDR ads to put a face to the name. Now, we worked with Influ2 to put together a special toolkit on ways to humanize your outreach, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90-Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes. Today's tactic to triple your connect rate is brought to you by RocketReach, who provides data that lets you reach out to the right person at the right account at the right time. Every time you're reaching out to an account, pull down the contacts again. Yes, I know it sucks, but the average tech tenure is two years, which means 50% of the workforce turns over every year. So look up the account, pull anyone who was hired, and scratch anyone who was left. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with 
Rocket Reach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes. Here's my secret to being a sales superhuman. It's auto reminders for everything. If I expect any reply from a prospect, I press command H and superhuman pops it right back into my inbox. If I don't get a reply in two days, that means if you handle an objection, if you suggest times for a meeting, or if you ask for cuts back on red lines, always create a two day reminder task and assume they will not reply. So if you want to follow up on time, every time you can get a free month of superhuman by checking it out in the show notes. All right, JC, welcome to the show. We start every single interview with your top three actionable takeaways. So let's get your three. Awesome. First one I want to talk about is asking permission throughout the entire sales process to do different things. That might mean asking permission to stay on a cold call a little bit longer or asking permission to ask a really challenging question. A quick example of this is the amount of time somebody's been trying to push me off a cold call. Things are starting to go the wrong direction. And I'll just hit him with a question like, hey, I know it's a little annoying, but do you mind if I just ask you like three more quick questions and then I'll let you get back to your day? You get their buy-in, you get their permission to keep talking, and that completely opens the door for you to continue the conversation and discover things that might allow you to end up booking that meeting in the end. I know it's a little annoying, but could I get your permission to get tip number two? I suppose I could give you a second tip. The second thing I want to talk about is recognizing the fact that Our buyers have probably not bought us before, but we've sold our stuff a lot of times. So it's about proactively outlining the buying process throughout the entire sales cycle. And that shows up in a bunch of different ways, like setting strong agendas, making recommendations for next steps, as opposed to leaving it up to your buyer on where they want to take it from there. Quick example of this is at the end of a call saying, hey, there's typically two ways that buyers who are excited about Gong like to take it from here. Do you mind if I outline those two options and you can let me know what makes the most sense in your world? Beautiful. Round us out. What's number three? Number three is probably my favorite and the thing I'm most excited to talk about, which is soft closing throughout the entire sales cycle. As opposed to waiting till one big, scary, go, no-go call, constantly trying to close the deal at multiple touch points throughout the deal cycle. Hopefully this helps save you time and ultimately... When you hear no after trying to soft close someone, it allows you to uncover what's actually standing between that no and a yes, so you can expedite the process. All righty, folks, JC's taken us from cold call to close. JC, you're a cold calling machine, so let's take this one from the top. How do you open your cold calls? I like opening my cold calls in whatever way I feel like on that day based on my mood. The key is I want it to feel authentic, and I want to have a ton of conviction when I do it. So if I'm cold calling Nick on a Friday, it might be like, Nick, happy Friday. I'm sure the thing you want to do more than anything in the world right now is sit on a cold call. But putting that aside, could I very briefly explain why I'm standing between you and your weekend? It's like delivering energy and it's standing out and it's sounding authentic. And then it's still getting permission to briefly explain why. Hopefully you say yes. And that's when you can really launch into like a well-researched reason for actually calling them. But I I would argue that the majority of cold calls fail in that first 30 seconds. You have to sound like you want to be on that call because the likelihood is the person on the other end of the phone probably does not want to be on that call. So if you don't deliver the energy, I don't know how you could expect them to. Something that I like to do is stand up on my cold calls and kind of pace around and smile and just pretend that I'm actually having a conversation with a human in real life. Being yourself, 
and whatever tonality that like is authentic to you, put that into a cold call and you'll get a lot more people willing to stay on the line with you. So help give me a sense of like how that extends to the next piece of the call. I go, yeah, you know, I've only got a second. I'm actually supposed to meet my, my friend Armand for dinner. So I got to leave in a second, but what's this about? Where do you take it from there? Yeah, that's the next component. And that's the part that you have to be really ready to deliver on. I like to incorporate what's called a three by three, which is three concise reasons that you're actually calling them. So in the example of a sales leader, I'd be like, Hey, I noticed you just launched a new product and some new go-to-market messaging along with that. I also saw you're actively hiring for three AEs. And correct me if I'm wrong, it looks like you were a former Gong user at your last company. Based on that, I'm curious how familiar are you with what we do? So it's three very distinct, well-researched and tailored reasons that you're calling that specific person. It's kind of like, oh, you've actually put an energy to know who I am. I'm going to give you a little bit more time because of that. So this is super interesting. So you are giving three pieces of research. You're not saying the problem you solve. You're not saying what you do, et cetera. You're just giving the three pieces of research. You're stopping and asking if they're familiar with you. And then I assume they either say, yes, I'm familiar with you, right? I've heard of Gong. Or they say, no, I haven't. My guess is if you're selling to someone that isn't already on like a call recording platform, they might be like totally oblivious to what's going on in this space. So what happens when someone says, no, JC, I I haven't heard of you or I'm, I'm very loosely familiar? Yeah, in this situation, I would be like, well, I know you're about to meet your friend, so time is limited. But could I have like 35 seconds to explain what Gong does? If it's relevant, we can set up some time to talk more in depth in the future. If not, let me know and I'll let you get to your weekend. And notice how I'm already planting the seed that the next step here is setting up a demo. So it's kind of like a soft close in the cold call, already outlining like where ideally we're taking it from here, as opposed to waiting to the end of the call to ask for time. And then ideally, they're giving me permission to launch into my actual gong pitch. Well, two intentional things that I see that you're doing here. One, you did a callback to what I said earlier, which again, makes it feel human, makes it feel fun. That is important. I think sometimes folks get so rigid with, uh, here's how the call's gotta go, that they forget to be like, you're supposed to meet your buddy. Like, I hope you're gonna get something good. Anyways, can I get 35 seconds? Also, I like that you called out the fact that the intent of this, when I would call a CFO of a law firm, that person had worried that I was about to drag them through a 17-minute discovery call on the cold call. And when you say, hey, the reason I'm calling isn't to take up a ton of your time, it's to figure out if we should talk, that changes their perspective from, I got to get this guy off the phone to, okay, I'm going to give him the 35 seconds to figure out if we're going to meet. You're showing that you're going to respect the interruption that you are making right there. So they say, yeah, you got 35 seconds. The clock's ticking. What's the pitch sound like going back to those like three pieces of research you did? How do you tie that to your pitch? Yeah, and something I want to call out here is if you have one pitch that you're delivering to every persona you call, you're probably missing the mark somewhere. So I have a very specific pitch that is dedicated to the different kinds of people I'm calling. If I'm calling a customer success leader, it's going to sound nothing like my pitch to a sales ops leader, et cetera. So in this case, where the example is they're like a VP of sales, they're scaling the team, they're launching a new product. My pitch is usually problem first, quick snippet of how Gong solves for this, and then asking how that resonates in their world. So Nick, a lot of the sales leaders I talked to today are having a really hard time identifying 
how their new product is landing in the market because they're so far removed from the front lines. And there's also a massive challenge with getting new reps up to speed quickly in a remote world. Gong solves for this by analyzing and capturing all of your customer interactions so you know exactly how this product lands and know what top performers are doing differently. Curious, what part of that specifically stands out in your world or resonates with you? Short, concise, problem-based, talking very little about our actual solution, just trying to understand, like, is this even relevant in their world? Unpack that closing question at the end. You're not asking, hey, do you want a meeting? Not asking, is that interesting? You're asking which part of that resonates with you the most. The biggest key is that it's open-ended and it's not opening the door for them to say yes or no. And it's, it's pushing them into one part of the funnel. So by asking like what part of that specifically resonates, it's really hard to say none of it when you ask it that way. And so they're likely going to lean into what part of that pitch was the most relevant in their world, which allows you to do a little bit of deeper discovery and then ultimately just book a meeting out of it. That's one thing that I try to do on my cold calls, especially now that I'm a full cycle AE and I'm the one that'll be taking the next meeting. I don't want to spend 20 minutes on the cold call. Like, If I'm calling somebody who I know is a good fit and something stands out, I'm trying to get them booked on a demo as fast as I can and get on to the next call. I'm curious if we zoom in on the part of the call we're talking about specifically. You just gave your tailored pitch and you asked which piece resonated the most with them. Can you talk to me about like maybe one or two of the most common areas of friction or hiccup around there and then how you actually overcome it? Yeah, I think the the first thing is people that will say, None of that resonates, not focused on any of that in an effort to just get out of the call. I try to be authentic in myself on all these calls. So I'll be like, Nick, really? Like none of that stood out at all, not even slightly a little bit. And just kind of lean into my my personality, my humor and hope to get them to open up a little bit. The second thing I'd say is people that are like, oh yeah, we already have something in place for that. So this is where that thing I mentioned, like asking permission throughout the entire process this is where I'll leverage that because I think the natural thing to do is ask them like, what are you using or how are you using your current solution? That's like really annoying for a buyer. If they think they already have what you're selling, but they don't want to stay on the call and tell you what they're using. So I'll immediately ask permission. I'm like, Hey, that's amazing. I'm glad to hear you have something in place because these are, are really big challenges. Do you mind if I ask you like two or three quick questions and then I will let you go back to your day. So I'm getting that permission first. And then my questions will be probably like where your head goes, which is like, and curious, how are you, how are you leveraging the solution you have in place to understand every single time your reps are pitching your new product? And the likely response is that they're not actually using the solution in that sense, or they might not even be aware that they can. It's interesting because if you just try to ask the questions like, what vendor are you using? You're essentially asking questions to get to the point where you can ask a better question. And someone on a cold call isn't willing to put up with that time. And so you need to have some offer of value or you just need to call out the fact that I'm going to take more time. The approach that I've taken on these is is somewhat similar where when I know someone's on a competitor, I don't want to waste a question being like this one. I'll usually say like, hey, my guess is you're probably not going to switch. Every once in a while, it makes sense to switch off one or two providers. Can I ask you like two questions and give you a sense of if it might even make sense to look at us or you should never look at someone like us ever again? 
So that's if they do have a solution in place. So let's say that you have someone who's open to taking a call with you, but they're giving you the traditional swats of not now or no budget or call me in six months or send me some information. All of those are basically just delaying the yes. What do you do in those types of objections? When I am specifically calling sales leaders, I like to play into the humor a little bit. And if a VP of sales is like, this is interesting, call me back in six months. I'll be like, Armand, like, what would you tell your reps to say if a sales leader pushed them off six months? And just kind of lean into that. But I think the the easy answer is like, just always ask questions like, hey, six months sounds like a pretty specific time frame. I'm curious, is there like some big initiative going on over the next half of the year? Or are you really not that interested in this meeting and just want to push me off? So it's just asking questions to try to understand like, is that even a real objection? Are they not interested at all? Like what's the reality of, of what they're saying? I want to talk about some of like those other common swats or objections that you probably get where it's like people are like, yeah, I've heard of Gong, but I've heard you guys are really expensive. You know, our budgets are frozen right now. I think the theme you'll hear here is like, I try to be myself and I love using humor and personality in my calls. I'll be like, hey, can I level with you real quick? I get permission. I'll be like, if I only closed deals where people had allocated budget for Gong, I would have been fired after like three months. There is never a world in which people are like, we have all this money we want to spend. Typically, the way we get there is by showing that there's a need, making a very tight business case, and then ultimately the spend becomes a no-brainer. And then I'll kind of go from there. But I, I pretty much outline the fact like nobody ever has budget. Nobody sets out to spend. I don't think I've ever closed a deal where someone's like, we have $80,000 that we had set aside for Gong from the get-go. Let's buy. So I kind of just lean into that. One more really tough scenario. You give your opener, they hang up on you. What's your response? So I'm a, I'm a pretty aggressive cold caller, and so I'll call them right back. And if they pick up, I'll be like, hey, I think the, the connection might have cut out or the line must have dropped and go from there. And then if not, if I call them back and they don't answer, I'll usually send an email with like, Hey, not sure if the line got dropped or if what I was saying wasn't interesting. Um, and then, and then go from there. But like a hang up is not the end of the world because sometimes people feel guilty and feel like they owe you something after. So you can kind of leverage that for additional outreach. But the first thing I do is call them right back. JC, I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of the audience. So the first thing that comes to mind that I might have as an objection because nothing ever works apparently is that, oh, this only works for selling to sales leaders and this is incorrect. And your style is very similar to the style that I had with CFOs and I would ask CFOs, how can I get budget from the cheapest guy in the room, which is you? And so this totally works. The other objection that I'm hearing really commonly today is that with whole post-COVID, everyone working from home, it's really, really hard to get phone numbers for people. And so I'm curious, it seems like you're pretty heavy on the phones knowing that a lot of the traditional phone number sources might not be as reliable or connect rates are down. Do you have any creative tactics for getting direct dials, for making sure that you spend as much time talking to people as humanly possible? I'm hesitant to share this because I don't want every other AE and SDR in the world to know about it, but there is a version of White Pages, the phone book online. And it is by far the most accurate source I've found for mobile numbers. So looking up somebody by their name and then the city in which they live, you can find mobile numbers, you can find physical addresses for physical gifting. 
uh, it's been an absolute godsend and in terms of like this is a top prospect their information isn't on lead iq or rocket reach or whatever like i need to find them it's been a pretty awesome resource but don't use it <laughs> it's mine <laughs> i want to talk about that the first objection that you outlined because I've, I've heard that a lot when i i post a lot on linkedin about like creative emails i've sent and a lot of comments like this only works for sales leaders like my personas would never respond to that like my response to that is like i bet you it works like my first sdr role out of college i was selling to chief medical officers and chief technical officers at hospitals during a pandemic and the one thing i found success with was authentic personality driven cold calls. I honestly think the things that I've been talking about stand out even more in those industries because that's not the way most people do outreach and interact. It's like everyone buys into the fact that if I'm selling to CIOs, I have to be serious and not use personality. So I think it actually differentiates you even more if you continue to lean into that. The number one sign that I've seen with reps who come off as junior is they're overly stiff. They're afraid to show their personality. And you can spot it. And executives, if you look at how they talk to each other, they're slapping each other on the shoulder. They're being casual about their, their language as well. And the problem is everyone is talking to them like they're afraid of them. And if you're the one person who shows up and breaks the pattern, you'll get a look from some of them. They're like, I can't believe this guy just said that. And they'll respect you for it. JC, I want to take this concept that we've had in cold calling, which is just being extremely direct, disarmingly blunt, whatever you want to call it, being authentic. So I want to take this concept that you mentioned earlier called soft closes, right? As you're soft closing throughout the sales cycle, my guess is you're also being pretty direct in asking the person whether or not what you're doing is meeting the mark. So let's go into like a discovery call environment. Can you give us a sense of where are some of the common soft closes occurring well before the next steps portion of the call? Yeah, so the, it all starts with the agenda and upfront contract and outlining early on that like one of the potential outcomes to this call is that you are ready to buy. So my upfront contract typically sounds like, hey, there's there's three ways this call could potentially go. The first is I show you Gong and you're like, we needed this yesterday. In which case, we can talk about what a contract would look like and how to get this in your hands ASAP. Second outcome is you're excited but need to see more, in which case we'll set up like a deep dive demo, bring in other stakeholders. Third option is I miss the mark, you hate Gong, and we never talk again. I hope that's not the case, but just be honest with me if that is. So I'm already setting expectations up front that one of the potential outcomes is they can just buy my software. And then at the end of the call, I like to ask permission. I'll be like, hey, Nick, can I can I level with you? Hopefully he says yes. I'm like, hey, based on our conversation, it sounds like you have three really pressing needs and the impact of those needs is like $400,000 in additional revenue. Feels like we've mapped exactly how Gong can solve for those. I know at the beginning of the call, I outlined three potential outcomes. To me, it feels like we're at a one. Am I way off the mark there? And that's literally a soft close. You're asking like, are you at a one? Are you ready to buy? They're probably going to say no. And then you're able to ask. Awesome. No worries. Sounds like we'll set up a deep dive demo. I'm curious though. What else do you need to see that would get you to that level of confidence where you are ready to buy? Talk to me about the types of responses that you'll get when you 
ask that number one question? Yeah, so I, I had a call yesterday where the CRO shows up to the call. It's supposed to be a 45-minute deep dive demo. He gets on. He's like, hey, JC, like, can we try to keep this call to 20 or 30 minutes? I said, yeah, no problem, Dave. I'm curious. So like, are you ready to just buy now? We can skip the whole call. And he literally said yes. And we have a contract out for signature right now. So like, the best case scenario is that they're actually more ready than you initially thought. And you can get things wrapped up early. The more likely outcome is like, oh, no, we're not there yet. And then you can do discovery. Like, no problem. That was probably a, a bit aggressive or a bit pushy. But, you know, that's the sales rep and me. I'm curious, what other boxes do we have to check that would get you to the point where you are ready to buy? So it just kind of opens the door for you to ask the questions, like, what is the gap? What do we actually have to, to do to get you to a place where you're ready? Well, it's really interesting the way that you're approaching this because I think a lot of salespeople hear, oh, I've got to guide the customer. I've got to teach them how to buy. And they over-rotate into their typical steps that somebody goes through. They don't ask the question, what do you need to see, hear, feel, and believe about Gong to say, yes, I am ready for this thing? Where else do you extend that soft close to? One of my favorite places to incorporate it is as you start to talk through a potential pilot. I know a lot of companies do like a pilot or a proof of concept as part of their sales cycle. What I typically do is I'll be like, hey, hey Nick, before we start talking about a pilot, can I outline the two routes that people typically go when they buy Gong? They say yes. I'm like, the first is people are really excited about Gong, but they want to validate the tech works, prove out ROI, that kind of thing, in which case... We'll do a proof of concept. The challenge there and full transparency is that really handicaps my ability to discount because we're literally validating the fact that this is a worthwhile spend for you. The second route people go is they're already confident that Gong is the right solution and they're ready to buy, which gives me a little bit more leverage on the price they end up paying because time is money and we can get this done fast. Curious, of the two buckets, like, you, you feel yourself leaning into one. So once again, you're outlining the potential steps and then you're essentially just asking to forego the pilot. And the amount of times I've actually been trending towards pilot or pilot, thinking I'm about to spend two weeks diving into a deep dive pilot and they're actually ready to buy has been, been pretty, uh, pretty game-changing. Talk to me about the dance that you play there, which is you're essentially preempting the fact that you'll have some flex on commercials if you don't do a pilot, right? Do you worry that that preempts the discount conversation earlier than expected? Or is it one of those things where you know a real mid-market company is going to ask anyway, so you'd rather use that to drive momentum earlier? So there, there will probably be other things that I'll have to identify before going into that talk track. I'm like, you know, is price going to be a factor in this deal? There's, there's other boxes I have to check. But in a case, in the case where like I know commercials are going to be really important, like for example, the, the, the last time I did this throughout the whole sales cycle, they're like, yeah, we really like Gong. It just feels expensive. We really like Gong. It just feels expensive. So I knew when I outlined that talk track, I'm like, this is going to be really juicy to them because they've been concerned about the commercials the entire time. So I wouldn't necessarily proactively lead with that with a company that I've never talked about that with. Another version of that could be the same thing, except instead of the carrot being a discount, the carrot is like, hey, 
I could run a two-week pilot with you where I do my best to get you all set up in Gong, but I'm an AE and that is not where my area of expertise is. The other option is you're ready to go. You know you want Gong. We can get you handed over to the post-sale team who's going to do a better job of getting this fully implemented and up and running. So that doesn't necessarily have to be like a discount carrot, but the, the point is I'm outlining two routes with some kind of advantage for, for moving fast. How do you navigate that discount conversation where they say, hey, you know what? We might be able to skip that pilot. Like, what do you mean you have you have more leverage? What does that look like for us? How do you respond to that? I'll do discovery around the rest of the buying process. I'm like, hey, before we, we do start talking about commercials, the last thing I want to do is we align on some discount and we find out three other people have to be involved. We have to check off the security. So I'll do discovery around the paper process and make sure that the actual last thing standing between us and a partnership is commercials. And then I'll do discovery around like what is important to them instead of just proactively offering a discount. I'll be like, you know, here are, here's our approved pricing. Here are the levers that I do have to pull. One of them is timing. So glad that we've checked that box. And then I'll ask questions like what's important to you? What would entice you to move faster? That kind of stuff. So JC to wrap this one up is, Part of the reason that you're even able to ask those questions or offer the carrot of price is because you're soft closing at every moment in your sales cycle. And if they say, no, I'm not ready to buy right now, you're asking them what's important to them to continue their buying process, right? But I'm curious for you, how do you suss out an objection that is one that you can solve through a demo, through a pilot, through future calls versus someone who says no, and you shouldn't meet with them again because they're a waste of your time. I think there's a few ways to pressure test deals. First of all is if you don't feel any friction throughout the sales cycle, that's a really alarming thing. If you talk through list price and they don't have any objections, if they don't ask any questions about you know, what a pilot can look at, all this, like, that's alarming to me because I'm like, oh, you don't feel that invested in it. The second thing I'd look for is if you're talking to one person and they're not willing to take you to other people internally, that to me is a huge indication that that deal might not be that real. Like I need to see that people are willing to go out on a limb and bring in additional stakeholders to our conversation. That gives me confidence they're actually invested in it. And then the third thing is just, you know, after selling for a decent amount of time, like what's the real use case and what isn't. And you can just kind of start to feel people that like our tire kickers tell you what you want to hear and you just kind of end up de- developing a BS sensor for it. Like if there's nothing they're looking to solve for and they're just like happy to take another demo, that's, that's pretty alarming to me. And I think one thing that will also tell you if you are where you need to be in a deal is when you're uncovering business pain and priority, if they can't really speak to what their company's key initiatives are, what they're looking to solve, what metrics they're looking to influence, then you're probably not at the right person or you don't have a real deal. That's a phenomenal point. We got to move to the final question. And the final question is this, JC. We've talked about a lot of really great things salespeople should be doing. Now I got to ask you about a shouldn't. And so the last question is, what is one bad habit that you see a lot of salespeople exhibiting that you think they need to break because it's hurting them more than it helps? Yeah. The biggest thing is like, you have to stop being scared of hearing the things you don't want to hear. Instead, you have to proactively 
thrive to hear those things. Like the, for the longest time, I would just not even ask, are you evaluating anyone else in the space? Those kind of questions. Cause like, I didn't want to hear it. I didn't want to know people have to get out of that habit. Like you should be a heat seeking missile trying to find risk in every single deal, as opposed to somebody who's got their head in the sound sand and is trying to avoid hearing the scary things. That's a mic drop moment. JC, thank you for joining us. Everybody stick around for a 60-second recap coming up soon. Otter AI's Otter Pilot for Sales gives you the freedom to sell on your discovery calls by taking notes for you. One of the best ways to deepen your discovery is to ask your prospect about the impetus behind their goals. So when a prospect tells me they want to advertise on more sales podcasts, I'll say, well, it's not every day that you wake up and decide you want to sponsor a podcast. What's causing you to even explore this in the first place? Now, we put together the ultimate discovery checklist with our friends at Otter AI, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Today's deal acceleration cheat code is brought to you by Pipedrive, which is a CRM built by sellers for sellers. The best way to drive your pipeline forward is to every single day, pull up a list of all of your open opportunities and look at each opportunity by stage and think, what can I do today that will increase my likelihood of winning this deal? That's how you keep your ops moving forward in between meetings that you have on the calendar. Now we documented five cheat codes that can help you cut your sales cycle in half with Pipedrive. There's a link in the show notes to steal them. Your Zoom Info actionable insight tactic is called Jane's Moving Up. Why? Because that's the email subject line you'll use when you get a real-time notice that your prospect Jane just got promoted. From there in the email, explain how Zoom Info helps rising sales leaders win their first 90 days on the job by highlighting coaching opportunities or supporting a team-wide prospecting push. And you can try out this trigger-based email template for prospect promotion and four other scenarios inspired by Zoom Info's go-to-market plays. Link in the show notes. Your top four takeaways from this episode with J.C. Pollard include number one, the way J.C. opens his cold calls is after he gets the permission, he does not pitch what he does. He uses the three by three, which is I noticed this, this, and this about you. How familiar are you with what we do? Number two, throughout the cold call and throughout your sales cycle, be outrageously authentic. A fun example that JC gave, amongst many others, was when he said, I would have been fired if I only closed deals where people had a million dollars of allocated budget to buy gong. Number three, up front, JC sets the expectation that there are three possible outcomes for the call. And then at the end of the call, he says, look, I think we're at a one, which means there's a strong business case for gong. And then ask the prospect in a soft close to validate or invalidate that they're ready to buy. And then lastly, number four, you can also use a soft close to skip a pilot. In other words, you can say, hey, we can move this thing faster and I'll have more flex on commercial terms. Or you might be one of the people who needs a little bit more time, who needs to see this thing and play around with it before you get comfortable. Which bucket are you in? Alrighty, Nick, how could people help us out? Well, you can actually help JC out because I've been watching him and following him for a while on LinkedIn. And after interviewing him on this episode, I'm like, man, that is someone who is working his ass off at honing his craft. And this is someone who is also sharing that stuff on this show and on LinkedIn. And so it would mean a lot to me 
If you went on LinkedIn, sent him a connection request, and let him know that you heard him on 30 Minutes to President's Club, you'll get two things out of it. One, uh, you'll show thank you to our guest, which if you learned anything from him on this episode would be meaningful. But then two, you'll actually get to see a lot of the best practices he shares on LinkedIn. So send a note to JC, and we'll catch you next week on the show. prospecting tip is brought to you by super cadence by influ2 which helps cut through the noise of oversaturated prospecting channels if you want to get your prospects attention you got to do stuff a robot would never do one of my favorite plays is getting warm introductions to the accounts that i'm targeting via salespeople who work at that account salespeople help salespeople another approach could be using super cadence to run sdr ads to put a face to the name now we worked with influ2 to put together a special toolkit on ways to humanize your outreach which you can get for free at the link in the show notes Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90-Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes.